Praise the Lord, Miranda's um, procedure was normal, and we just got to wait for the results. We have an appointment coming up, and so let you know what's going on. And then Nathan's kind of kind of down today, and some of the smaller kids are down. Um, uh, just found out that Frank is in Chicago, and so he'll be there for a few days. Um, so, glad to see you today. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help today, today and be with us. We pray for those who are sick, those who are not feeling well. We raise them up to good health this week. And uh, thank you, Lord, for answering prayers. And thank you, Lord, for taking care of your people. We pray now for your blessings on this class, especially we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I am continuing lessons on the life of Christ. And as you may guess, the life of Christ is quite broad and complicated so can't rush it so we have 45 minutes to teach a lesson on a portion of the life of Christ and so I hope you get something out of it um, it's a little bit different from other lessons where skim over things we'll try to be more uh, detailed in some of the things that we cover from the gospel writers and so you may think about how we're I'm jumping around from the gospels but uh, some gospels emphasize certain things about Christ others less some more and so we're going to go through the verses but we'll be going between uh, john and the others uh, today so let's come to john chapter 3. we were there last week we i just mentioned about the meaning of nicodemus and christ so we'll come back to john chapter 3 and move on from there after a few comments about that john chapter 3 verses 1 through 21. well hello what are you doing here? Uh, I think you came to see your daughter-in-law. I think I did too. <laughs> yeah, she's beginning to um, show signs of, um, mm -hmm, yeah, good. John chapter 3, verse 1 through 21 is the Lord's meeting with Nicodemus, and we are privy to eavesdrop on this conversation. Now, the thing you want to ask yourself is how in the world did this meeting take place or why did it take place uh, what caused Nicodemus to want to speak to Christ privately of course Nicodemus is a Pharisee ruling class of religious people uh, important man in that circle and he is quite he is quite uh, well known and uh, some things got his attention so that he wanted to meet Christ probably something happened in his world that caused him to say to himself what is going on well, what what was it that caught his attention what do you think it was? Think back a little bit in John when something happened and think about the early parts of Christ's public ministry and you get an idea as to why Nicodemus wanted to meet with Jesus because he told him, we know that thou art a rabbi from God because no man can do this miracle except God be with him. And so he is thinking along that line, so what was it that caused him to want to meet with Jesus privately? He didn't want to have a group meeting, he didn't want to have a Zoom meeting, he wanted to meet him face to face. Privately, where no one would know that they were meeting. What was it that got his attention? Now you gotta think with me. I can't do all the thinking here because I don't have enough brain power to think for you. What was it that he that got his attention? Miracles. The miracles that happened and uh, the miracle of Akina, his first miracle. And uh, so that probably is what got his attention. Now, Nicodemus is a religious scholar. And here's what you learn about 
this story in which Jesus tells him he must be born again. The lesson very plainly and practically is that even scholars need to be born again. Even people who are very intelligent with a high IQ or uh, religious zeal, they need to be saved as well. We, we sometimes make the mistake to think that when people have got together financially or career-wise, um, admiration in society, we think that they've got everything under control. Do you realize that in many cases that is true? But in other cases, people who are in that status of life, they have a real need in their heart that they cannot fulfill. So there are a lot of lonely people who are very successful, even very religious. Religious people sometimes, they have no peace in their heart. Uh, a lot of things are going on that's good in their life publicly, professionally, but a lot of times they are lonely on the inside. Nicodemus was a man who was at least, I would say, sincere and open-minded to wonder about what's going on. How can this man do these things? He's not one of our group. How is this possible? And so uh, Nicodemus is at a crossroad in his career and in his life, and um, Jesus compassionately talks to him. So that's John chapter 3, and it's me with Nicodemus. Now come to verse number 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Enon near Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. And so Jesus was baptizing. His disciples are baptizing, not Jesus, but his disciples are baptizing. You find that from John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And as well as John being baptizing people. And so both of them are baptizing people. Both of them are doing something that's quite different, and people are listening to them. And yet, uh, there's differences between John baptizing and Jesus' disciples baptizing. Let's think about what those differences were. John is baptizing because that was the message he preached about repentance. Uh, John the Baptist here would give a second testimony of Jesus Christ. The first testimony is when he baptized Christ and said, this is the Lamb of God. Remember that one? And so now he is telling again a second testimony uh, about Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah in John chapter 3, verses 22 through 26. Come to verse number 20. Well, the passage I want to refer to is verses 22 through 36, and that would include his testimony about Jesus Christ the second time. Uh, but I want to tell you that there are differences between what John was doing and preaching and what Jesus was doing and preaching. Uh, Jesus uh, did not baptize personally, but his disciples did. Uh, John Baptist baptized, he personally baptized each person that came to him. Uh, John's message was one of repentance. He was a single issue preacher. That was his calling, to preach about repentance. And uh, if you look at Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3 for another commentary from the Gospel writers, Luke chapter 3, and come to verse number 8, Luke 3, 8. The passage is from verse is 14, uh, 4 to 14, so it's quite long, but come down to verse number 8. Verse number seven, uh, John the Baptist has read uh, the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Have you ever read the famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? It's a good salesman book. Every salesman 
in multi-level has probably read that book. Everyone who's in leadership in that type of work, they've read that book. I forget the author's name, but How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's about having good sense. It's about um, knowing some clues and looking at, you know, all those kind of things. There's some good things about that, but it's not totally something that you would use uh, as a life's philosophy. But anyway, it has some virtue. Uh, in John chapter 3, verse number 7, this is how John preached. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized off him, O generation of vipers. Well, that's how the wind friends influence. We call them a snake. You snakes, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Verse 8. Here is his sole message. Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. Alright, so that's his message. Repentance, repentance, repentance. He was a single topic preacher. Now, Jesus was not a single-topic preacher. He did preach repentance as well, but he also covered much other, uh, much more territory than John the Baptist would cover. He talked about forgiveness. Yes. He talked about forgiveness to the woman of Samaria in John 4 and the adulterous woman in John chapter 8. In both cases, they had more problems, and in both cases, he, he compassionately led them to uh, forgiveness and repentance. And then Jesus also preached about how he alone can satisfy your thirst and your spiritual hunger. John chapter 6 and John chapter 4. He said, remember, he's the bread of life, he's the water of life. John never preached that about himself. There's quite a different kind of ministry and preaching that they both had. Uh, John the Baptist just claimed that he was a voice in the wilderness. That's all he claimed to be. But Jesus, Jesus proved or claimed that he was more than that. He's more than just a voice. He is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And he has come to reach the world. With him, He's the one who claims to be the Savior. And so Jesus was drawing more crowds than John the Baptist. At the beginning, John the Baptist's crowds were swelling. And then pretty soon, as Jesus began to preach, and as his disciples baptized, and as he began to do miracles and healings and his message, it was more attractive, quote, more attractive than John's message. And so Jesus' crowd was growing. He's baptizing more. And John's was more like that. So it's just the opposite. So quite different. All right. Now, Jesus was supposed to be like that. And John was supposed to diminish. Remember, he said, I, he must increase, I must decrease. So John did not feel any resentment or jealousy that Jesus Christ was getting more attention and his disciples were getting followers. John understood this is how it's supposed to be. I'm just the promoter. I'm not the star. I am just the one to bring people to bring uh, people's attention to him. And so he did not feel like that. But there's some differences. Just want to pass it on to you. And so uh, John chapter 3. Come back over here. John chapter 3 verse number 24. So just a voice. That's what we all are. Just a voice. Sometimes we want to fabricate conversions. Sometimes we want to make people get right with God. And I'll just say in passing, as you turn to John chapter 3, verse number 24, do you know that you and I cannot make anybody do right? Do you realize that? But don't you wish you could? Don't you wish you could? But you realize you cannot. And so we're just voices. Though we're just voices, we need to try to persuade people with the truth. So it's not being passive, it is being truthful with the understanding that you and I cannot really convict people like the Holy Spirit can convict people. 
but I still say, I sure wish you could, I could. But you can't do that, can you? You can make someone behave, but after you're gone, they will not behave if it hasn't touched their heart. True? I'll tell you a quick story about that. Uh, a woman got married to a guy, which is a good thing. And after a few years of marriage, uh, she goes up to her attic to do some spring cleaning and takes things up. And then she finds a chest and she opened that chest and it was her hope chest. And in that was a little note that she wrote to herself. And she wrote down, she wrote down all the things that she would do if she ever got married. Oh, and maybe she had 10 or 12 things on her list of what she would do. I would cook breakfast for him. I would cook dinner for him. I would lunch him. I would do his laundry. I would kiss his feet. Things that a wife ought to do for her husband. I'd comb his hair. I'd massage his neck. Oh, I'd just cuddle with him on the couch. And uh, I'd just serve him like, a, like, a, like he's a king. And then uh, she looked at the list and she laughed to herself. And do you know why she laughed to herself? She laughed to herself because she didn't need the list. She was already doing these things without the list. And do you know why she was doing these things without the list to remind her to check off? Because she loved the jerk. And because she loved the jerk, she was doing these things out of love already. The point is, you cannot make anybody do anything because you have a list. They might do that because it's an employment situation it's one of those kind of things where you have to do it or else, but you cannot make people do things. But if they want to do it because of the right motivation, they'll do above and beyond the list. Do you understand that point? So, um, where am I? John chapter 3. I, I, thought, I thought I'd just pass it on to you, and there's no charge for that one. John chapter 3, verse number 24. 324. Well, after the crowds are beginning to swell at Jesus preaching, verse 24. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except he be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore, uh, this my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, and I must decrease. I cited verse 30, but preceding verse 30 was these words of John. He says, this is expected. I'm not the, the main character here. I'm not the bridegroom. I'm a friend of the bridegroom. It's not my job to get all the attention. It's my job to, to make the bridegroom look the best. And so this is what he's talking about. Verse 31. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is on the earth is earthly. And speaketh of the earth, he that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testified. And no man receiveth his testimony. He that receiveth his testimony hath said to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent 
speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. And so John confirmed that he is not the star, but Jesus Christ is the main character. You know, in a Hollywood production, movie production, you have the, the star of the program, the movie, then you have a, a supporting cast, and there's awards every year, and uh, they get the Oscar for best actor, uh, best supporting actor, best whatever these kind of things. A lot of people kill themselves to become the star. A lot of people are not content to be uh, a supporting uh, member of the production. But uh, John is not like that at all. He's content to go back and be a, a uh, stage stagehand. That's what John is like. He wants the spot to be on the Lord Jesus Christ as he was intended to become. He must increase some as he could. Now in John chapter 3 verse number 36, and in this chapter, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Notice carefully John says this, uh, he that believeth on the Son, not believeth on John, but he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. What do you see from verse number 36 that is so cut and dry, that is fixed in cement, that will never be altered? What do you see from verse number 36 that is just the way it is? Sometimes people uh, say this, this is a cliche. It's a very irritating cliche. It is what it is. It is what it is. You ever hear people say, it is what it is? It is what it is. It's a very wearisome, irritating cliche. It is what it is. Well, I will use that cliche to say, it is what it is. It says what it says. And it says in verse number 30, it says, notice, he that believeth on the Son, not he that believeth on John the Baptist. Okay? He that believeth on the Son, not he that believeth in the Baptist church. He that believeth on the Son, not he that believeth on his mother's religion or his father's religion. He that believeth on the Son, not he that believeth in what his college taught him. Do you see the importance of what verse 36 is saying? You have to believe on the Son of God, not on anyone else. Not a priest, not what the Pope says, not what the Cardinal says, not what anybody says. He that believeth on the Son hath something. Well, this is how you get that thing that everybody wants. He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life. And then he goes on to say, the flip side of this coin is, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So you have a very strong statement, a very dogmatic statement about who saves and what you get when you get saved. So if a person has received Christ as his Savior, he has been given something that can never be taken from him. It's a, it's a wonder to me how people who say they have received Christ, and they sincerely have, assuming that they sincerely have, and yet after a period of time, they have doubts about their salvation. That's a common thing among regular people. They're not bad people. They're not living in sin overtly. They're not in your face to God. I don't care what you do. I'm going to do this anyway because I want to. They're not like that at all. They're decent people. Yes, sometimes they have a doubt about their salvation. The fact is, if you believe what the Bible says, and you believe in the Son, you have been given something that you can never lose. Isn't that pretty good? Amen. And so there's many ways to illustrate that. I think you all understand the illustration. But um, this is a very good soul winning verse, by the way. Now look at verse 24, 324. 
Let's back up and look at this one verse, 324. For John was not yet cast into prison. Well, he would be, wouldn't he? But he's yet to be cast into prison as John the Apostle records the events of this part of Jesus' life and ministry. And so remember, John the Baptist's preaching was firm. It was straightforward. It was about repentance of all kinds of sins. And he was very confrontational and the results are expected. Results are expected when you're confrontational and telling the truth. Uh, in, in the Bible rec records of John, uh, people responded positively. They were convicted and they repented. They showed repentance, they made baptized. But in some cases, people who heard the message of repentance by John the Baptist, they were offended. There's that O word, offended. They were offended. That's overused nowadays. Everybody's offended by everything. But these people are legitimately offended. Are you calling me a liar? Now you tell someone they're a liar, what is the reaction going to be? If you don't know, you haven't lived a long time in this world, you liar. So we mask, we euphemize the word lying by saying you're not telling you're telling an untruth. <laughs> Politicians are famous in this. They don't want to say you liar. And if you say you liar, like one politician did when uh, there was a State of Union address by some president, one guy stood up and said, you liar. It would have went boo, boo. Well, of course, it was kind of, um, well, unethical and um, not a gentleman-like thing to do. There's a time to do that, but he couldn't take it more. So he said, you liar. And everyone went boo, boo, boo. And on people on his side said, not now, not now. <laughs> Too late, they let him out of the bag. And so, but uh, generally speaking, if you tell the truth about something and someone's guilty about that, that accusation, they're going to get offended. They're going to be resentful. So instead of repenting, they're resenting. That's pretty clever. Instead of repenting, they're resenting. I just made that up. And that's human nature. Well, how do I look today? You know, sometimes your wife is real funny because... My wife would go into savers and she would grab like 12 dresses or skirts and blouses and come, 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 come. And, 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 and so she'd bring away, she'd take all inside and you hear all this clanging sound of, of hangers and things. And I'm standing out there leaning on that card and, and then, you know, there's about that much gap between the floor and the door and she'll stick her toe up there <laughs> and she'll say, okay, I'm ready. I'll open the door like that and she'll, she'll have this, uh, dress on her blouse or something. she say, what do you think? I say, I do this. That's all me to turn. And she'll do this. Because I want to see what it looks like from the back, okay? And she'll, she'll do that twirl thing and I'll say, hmm. And then she wants me to say something nice to her about that. What do you think? Well, I know what that expression means. She wants me to say something very positive. Oh, that looks so good on you. Oh, that's a perfect, oh, that's a perfect, oh. But it's not. And I have to say something to her that doesn't offend her. So you have to think real fast. Uh, well, um, well, uh, um, well, what do you think? And she'll twirl again. Well, what do you think? I say, well, um, it's the right length. <laughs> and then she'll say, you don't like it, do you? I didn't say that. Well, I didn't say that. I said something positive. It's the right length. It doesn't look good to me, does it? I said, well, 
You know, I'll give you a bit of advice, gentlemen. The word well covers a lot of territory. <laughs> well, and the little, you don't have to be brutally honest. Now, if, if, if you wear something with stripes, horizontal stripes, how does that make you look? If you wear vertical stripes, how does that make you look? Well, you know what that does to you. It's an optical illusion. And uh, if, if uh, I'll stop there because I think you get the point. John Beth did not say, well, he didn't say, well, he says, you're a snake. You generation of vipers, you need to repent of your A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Well, that offended some people. Now, it's okay to offend people who can't do anything against you in retaliation. But if you have the power to retaliate, you will retaliate. Guess what he said to some big shot in government. Well, remember it says he has not yet been uh, cast into prison. He would be because he offended some official in government. Now here's where the problem comes in with John. Not that he is at fault because he's just preaching what he's supposed to preach. Regardless of who they are in status or color or you know size, shape, he just he just told the truth. He was a single message preacher. And by the way, you can't be like that nowadays anyway. But you're not going to avoid preaching about repentance, but you just can't focus on one thing all the time. Get to that in just a second. And so in verse number um, chapter 3, he hammers one more time about the Son of God, but then going back to verse number uh, 24 about John not being cast into prison, um, he now offends Herod. He found fault with Herod. He had taken his brother's wife, ditched his present wife, and they was very wrong. Now, Herod was part Jew, so he knew better than doing adultery and all this kind of bad stuff. So Herod was not so innocent. He, he violated his conscience, and he did something because of his uncontrollable lust for his brother's wife. That's, anyway, um, uh, he knew the law, and John Baptist publicly preached against Herod that he needed to repent. And I don't know about you, but I know one thing about human nature. If you tell someone who thinks they're important that they're wrong, they are greatly offended. If you tell someone who thinks they're very smart that they're wrong about something, they're greatly offended. They're so offended you actually could say to him that you're wrong. You tell, a, you tell an important person in office of any sort that they're wrong, well, look at a judge in his courtroom. You cannot offend a judge in his own courtroom. You must to him. Otherwise, out you go and you get a fine. He's the man in the courtroom, and in a, in a lot of ways, rightfully so. You have to respect the position, respect the office and all that kind of thing. But you tell someone who's got power and uh, authority that he is wrong, and you're guilty of ABC, and you see, repent of ABC, or God's going to, you know, it, it's like, Repent or perish. Repent or perish. Well, who do you think you are? You ever see these interviews by some of these good conservative young men that grow on campuses? I, I give them a lot of credit. They sit there, they stand there, they tell the truth about different issues. They're not, they're not in your face in that they are just calling people <clears throat> names. They're just asking about, well, what is a woman? You ever see those interviews? What is a woman? It is so good. The man uses common sense and logic just to ask a question. What is a woman? Define a woman. The latest, latest Supreme Court justice who nominated was asked a question by a, a senator, 
or congressman, define a woman for me. You know what the answer was for this Supreme Court justice who got nominated and got on the on the uh, on code SCOTA? She said, I can't tell you because I'm not a biologist. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if your answer is I can't tell what a woman is because I'm not a biologist, then I can't tell if it's rainy because I'm not a meteorologist. Well, how do you know it's raining? Because I'm getting wet. I mean, you have to be educated out of your mind in this world to not get the wrath of people coming your way or to be approved by certain groups of people. It is incredible how people think or don't think nowadays and how intimidated people are. You talk about bullying. People are bullied to not say what they believe is true because of the fear of, of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Fear of retribution. And so Herod and his, especially his wife, see Herod was afraid of John the Baptist. Herod respected him, but his wife, oh, she was the wicked one. There's a lesson there. Ahab had a wife. Ahab was bad, but his wife, starts with a J, was so bad, so evil, so bad, so evil, that no normal woman would dare name the daughter Jezebel. What should we name her little girl? Uh, let's see, A, B, C, D, E. Oh, I know, let's call her Jezebel. Oh no, you better not do that. For the rest of her life, she'd be scorned because of the stigma attached to the name Jezebel. Rightfully so. What about uh, Lot's wife? What was Lot's wife's name, by the way? Mrs. Lot. <laughs> Don't get smart. <laughs> Mrs. Lot. Okay, you see, and so uh, I believe that Herodias was the one who really was the instigator, and it's borne out because of that death that his daughter did, or her daughter did, and she tricked Herod into making a vow that he could not break in front of people. You know that story well. And so, uh, Herod, Herod was the one who did it for John the Baptist. Now, um, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay to, let me back up and say it like this. John was in his right. John was fulfilling his calling to preach repentance. That's what he was there for. And we, from our viewpoint, say it's unfortunate that Herod responded like that, more so Herodias, his wife. But that's how it was going to happen inevitably. So when you tell someone you're wrong, they don't want to hear that. It could be a private counsel, it could be from the pulpit, people don't want to hear that they are wrong. People rather hear how nice they are, how great God is, and how loving He is, and how much He wants to give you everything you want. People rather hear how God will Fulfill your dreams. He wants to uh, see your potential fulfilled and all these positive things. And that's not really wrong within itself. But if that's all someone is preaching, they are preaching false teaching if that's all they're preaching. If they're not preaching John 3.36, they're preaching a lie to people, giving them a false hope. And so if, if, if I or someone from this pulpit rails against certain personalities in church uh, about uh, these guys who preach on TV and all that, it's because we're fed up with people who tell people only what they want to hear. Now, we cannot be like a John the Baptist because there's a lot more to preach besides, besides repentance. Okay, a lot more to preach about that. If you read the epistles of Paul, a lot of it is about Christian living. 
It's about after you, now that you're saved, this is how you walk. This is how you live now that you're saved. Okay? And sprinkling in that is repentance all the time. But there's a lot of edification. There's a lot of building up. There's a lot of encouragement. There's a lot of strengthening the, you in the faith. A lot of that is in the epistles of Paul. So you cannot be a single issue church. You have to be doing a lot of different things that the Bible says to do. Preach the word, which comes a lot of territory, okay? But we look at John and respect him, and Jesus said he's the greatest of all the prophets, which means John is right. No fault of John. It was the fault of the man who's guilty. And I'll say one more time, and I'll tell you a quick story. When people are, are told about personal sins without even knowing about it, people get mad at the person who delivers the message. Isn't that true? I'll never forget when a long time ago, uh, I was going through the Ten Commandments and a brother brought his brother to church and I don't know anything about the brother. And I don't know, Joan, I, don't know, I think you were here, but we were in Central and um, he brought his brother, older brother. And I was going through the Ten Commandments. Uh, of course, one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not commit the A word. Okay, what do I know? I have no spiritual inside of people's lives. I'm going through what the Bible says, and after church, uh, you know, greet people and they go home. I go follow up on the brother uh, who came with his brother, and the brother wasn't home. I talked to the guy who invited his brother to come. I said, well, how'd your brother like church? He says, oh, he hated it. I said, oh yeah? I'm thinking, what, because of the way I look, the way I talk, talk too fast, talk too slow, uh, too casual, what is it that he said, no, he hated you because uh, he, he's also mad at me. I said, his brother. I said, why is he mad at you? He says, because he thinks I told you about him living with his girlfriend. Well, I had no idea what was going on, right? But he thought his brother had tipped me off, so I'm going through, and it was not even the case. People do get upset. One time, two old ladies walking out of a church, and they're just, it's a cartoon, they're just shaking hands with the pastor as they're going out, and the two women are talking to themselves, and one lady says, it was such a wonderful service. She says, I just love when he preaches about other people's sins. Do you understand what that really means? Do you understand that that is true for most people? Amen. Go get them. Then when they preach about you, your sins, smoking, drinking, and other sins, all of a sudden, no, no. John is not like that. So Herod is upset. His wife is upset. They're very offended. And they are very upset. And she plots, I think she plots to get even with him and shut him up because she has lost face. He has, everybody knew that they were wrong, but nobody dared say anything about it publicly. No one wrote an article about that in the op-ed of the newspaper, the Jerusalem Gazette. And they just kept it themselves because of the, the fear of retaliation. But John didn't care. And so, fearless, yes. Um, telling the truth, absolutely. Can you can you apply that truth to modern life? Let's spend one more minute about this. I'll keep moving on. But something has been going on in modern life, in our time, where I see this principle played out. Now I'm gonna write down a word, and. You tell me what name comes to your mind. I'm going to write down this word. And I want to tell you, if we change the name that you think of, it'll make no difference. 
Oh, I need to add this. Okay, now when I write that, what name comes to your mind? You said Trump. Anybody agree Trump? You think that phrase? Now you see, whether you like Trump or not is not the point. The fact is somebody said that about that group of people in DC that really seems to control a lot of things. And when he said that, and he when he when he when he pointed out uh, uh, let's say fake news or you are a liar uh, things like that. Well, what politician has ever said that before? Well, not really anybody. They were tiptoeing because they didn't want to offend the Herods. But the Herods got offended. So this is the modern application to that, and it could apply to other personal things as well. No wonder there is such hatred for one man. It could have been a woman who speaks bluntly the truth about things. Now, this other guy, Ramishrami Salami, what's his name? Um, Vivek? Okay, whatever you think about him, too. I'm just saying as a, as a matter of uh, educating you. Whatever, whatever you think about him, rude, interrupt people, just keeps talking. He's always on a, on a high, he's agitated all the time. Whatever you think about him, does he not say some things that reflect what you think? Maybe, maybe not. But do you not see that he's offending the Herod and Herodias in this world? Do you not see that? So, I just want to pass on to you that the Bible is a living book and the historical narratives do reflect contemporary society and contemporary living. Right. Okay, you can't beat the Bible says, it'll tell you the truth about what's really going on. Forget about the, the little minute, oh, because, just remember this, when you're offended because someone tells you the truth, how do I look? You know, that makes you look like a barn. No one's gonna be happy about that. You know, you got some, well, how do I look? I got this face job, face lift thing, and all this kind of thing. By the way, you know what my my eye doctor told me? I got an eye exam, annual eye exam. I love love this uh, um, lady. Our whole family goes to her, and uh, she's examining. You know, I got a bump on my head and I got droopy. I kept raising my like that, like you on this side. And then she said, she said, open your eyes. <laughs> said, open your eyes. I said, I'm opening them. She said, you gotta open them bigger. And, and she gets to pull, pull up over here, you know. I said, you know, I, I, since I fell and, uh, and and then she goes this side. She says, you know, you got your, your, your folds are becoming more droopy. And she says, she said, it's probably with age, it's genetic. I said, yeah. She said, can you see all right? I said, I can see fine. <laughs> and then, you know, she said, well, you know, if you, need, if you want to lift it up, uh, I can get that arranged. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not getting a facelift. <laughs> anyway, she wants to do that because she thinks I can't see. I said, I can see fine. <laughs> I just can't hear well. <laughs> Something else is wrong with me. Now, what was I saying before I said that? Telling the truth. Your, uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And my wife says, she says, honey, can you see? <laughs> and I say, yeah, I can see real good. And then she make her eyes real big like that. It looks like headlights and she scares me. She does that. Sometimes she comes up to me and she goes like that. You know, she scares me. Her eyes are big, you know. And I can't do that. So I'm kind of resentful about that. <laughs> now, if you, if you ever come up to me and tell me, hey, Pastor, you can't see, can you? I said, why do you say that? She's, someone says to you, your eyes look like Venetian blinds. I said, you're just jealous. <laughs> yeah. Because your eyes are big and round. 
All right, so the offense over here is very real. The losing of face is very real. And they cannot lose face to this country hick. Look at this guy. Look at how he's dressed. He's got no fashion style. He don't shop at Neiman Marcus. He doesn't even go to um, Ross. He goes to, I don't know, the dumpster or something. This guy, he smells. He, his diet is horrible. He's, uh, man, who are you to tell us what to do? And so uh, he doesn't preach a constant uh, message of being positive. He just preaches the truth. He's arrested in Luke chapter 3. Come to Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist is finally arrested. John records he was not arrested yet. Well, he's going to get arrested right here. Luke chapter 3, verse number 19. Verse 18 tells us, And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. Verse 19, And Herod, but Herod the Tetrach, being reproved by him. You don't reprove someone who's a big shot. Being reproved by him, for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, adding yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. So there he goes, he's locked up, waiting execution, and he would be, what would the charge be? What would the charge be for his incarceration? And he's preaching, he's preaching. The charge probably is a charge of insurrection citing people, agitating people to go against the government. Whatever bogus charge that would sound good to the press, that's what happened here. Now, isn't that very contemporary? All right. Matthew chapter 11. Come over there. Here's what Matthew says. Matthew chapter 11. Well, when John Baptist is incarcerated, there's doubt. There's doubt by uh, the disciples doubted who Jesus was. And now in Matthew chapter 11, verse number two. Now when John had heard that, heard in the prison that the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and uh, said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto him, Go and show John again those things which you see and hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind, but what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he, verse 10, of whom is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you. Now look at this word of praise for John the Baptist by the Lord Jesus Christ. Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Well, this is what the Lord taught about John the Baptist. And Herod and Herod's wife thought less of John the Baptist, so much so that he's going to get beheaded. And he's arrested. His disciples are wondering. Uh, and John himself in this passage is wondering if he really is the Messiah. He has doubts, which is unusual for him to have been preaching about Jesus 
for a few months and then to have doubts that was I preaching about the right man? Is he really the Messiah? Isn't that amazing how he would have doubts about Jesus? Well, why would he have doubts about if Jesus is legitimate, if he really is the Messiah? What do you think? Why do he have doubts? Well, here's the reason why, very quickly. The prophets, the prophets could see Jesus, the, the Messiah coming, bringing in the kingdom. Well, if he brought in his kingdom, you would have a revolution where everything was different from a Gentile type of a kingdom to a God on earth kingdom, ruling in righteousness. You would see everything made right. You would say, you would see uh, sinful living and practices and everything done away with and right, a righteous rule on earth. You would see that. So if Jesus is the Messiah, if he's the king, I ain't seen no kingdom over here. Not only that, the Roman government is still in control. Not only that, I'm in prison. Why am I in prison? So as a man, can you understand how he may have felt about, is he really the one I was supposed to preach about? Now, I would say, um, have a little bit of compassion on Bible characters because they're just like you and me. We have our moments of doubts as well about a lot of things. Things didn't work out. Why? I prayed about it. Well, I thought it didn't happen. A lot of things like that take place in life, and it makes us doubt. It makes us doubt. John was just like you and me. I'm in jail. There's no kingdom here. There's no righteous rule. And so Herod, though, is fascinated by John the Baptist. You remember? He respects him. He has a private Bible story too with him. He hears John privately, has a private audience with him. So I say, and I, I say again, that it's his wicked wife that is the instigator of this whole mess over here. And uh, not, not uh, relieving Herod of any guilt. So two disciples go to Jesus, and Jesus confirms who he is. We report back to John the Baptist of Jesus, uh, what he did and so on, to comfort and to encourage John the Baptist. And so uh, John is honored by Jesus, the greatest of all Old Testament prophets, and uh, now his death. All four Gospels record his death, and now you come to John chapter 4. We'll begin here, but not, not finish it here. John chapter 4, after John's execution. By the way, the execution took place. A good man was killed. It seems so unjust. And it seems unjust. Only if you look at it from a human perspective, it seems unjust. It seems unfair that God will allow this good preacher, this good man to be executed unjustly. But you have to remember um, how, how God sees things and how God, how God sees things and how God has planned things. What appears to be a tragedy to us to those in John's time, to his disciples, uh, may not be a tragedy in God's sight. Now, how could a man understand that? How could his followers understand that? Well, maybe they couldn't. But we have the benefit of the scripture to tell us a lot of different things. We know that all things work together for good. We have that scripture to help us go through and help them to go through, but they didn't have that scripture yet. And so we just gotta remember the principle. There, God sees beyond the horizon, we don't. We have to remember that. And what is an apparent loss could be really a gain. 
it's not just a philosophical way of looking at life, but it is a biblical way of looking at life. And so we have to try to mature and grow to understand that and by faith accept that when things do not turn out like we want. I got saved and I got more trouble than ever. I got saved, people told me all your troubles go away. Well, when I got saved, my troubles magnified. Well, I got saved, not my wife's gonna get saved. I'm gonna tell her how to get saved and she needs to get saved and she'll get saved like that. She did not. In fact, she left me. I told my kids, they were in so much trouble, they're into drugs and everything and bad crowd, hey, man, they don't come home at night, they come home at two o'clock in the morning. I, I, they need to get saved. I told them, come to church for me and they'll get saved. They didn't. Well, that's our perspective. That's the reality. But God sees it in a different way. You know, plant seeds, pray, water, all those kind of things. Um, uh, who knows what God's going to do, right? We just got to not, um, let me say it like this. Doubt's okay, but don't stay there. Doubt's okay, but don't stay there. Stop by on the free of life, got a little stop, but get back on the free of life and keep moving on. What you and I need to do is to live for Christ, whatever whatever happens that doesn't seem to be good for you to me. Okay? All right, let's go on to his um, John chapter 4, verses 4 through 42. It's another great story of his encounter with another person. First was John, uh, Jesus, and Nicodemus. Now he meets another person who's quite the opposite of uh, Nicodemus. First of all, this is a woman. And as far as I can tell, women and men are different. So on that physical, logical, obvious level, uh, the encounter is personal, same. The encounter with another person who is just the opposite. She is a sinner. Nicodemus, in his mind, is not. He's a religious man. He's a moral man. He's a, a very structured, disciplined man, very organized man. This woman, she is so ashamed of her life that she has to come to get water at noon where you don't come at noon because it's so hot. You come in the early morning, you come in just in the dusk, things like that. And so she's coming there to avoid any comforts of other women. She's ashamed, but she has a certain lifestyle that uh, she's involved in. And so uh, Jesus has uh, confronted her. He is, now, here's what you learn about Jesus' confrontation with this woman. I just want to summarize this chapter. Uh, she's an outcast, but in verse number 9 of John 4, Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that thou saidst to thee, Give me the drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, that he would have given the living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and thy well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? I thought greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Woman, don't you know what you're talking? You don't you talk. You, you're so biblical. You are such a dummy. Is that how he answered her? No. What do you see in the words of Christ to this woman who is sincerely asking questions? You know what he's doing to her? He is showing to her kindness. That's a different word, isn't it? He is showing to her kindness. He is showing to her tactfulness. He draws her interest by his answers in verses 10 through 15. And Jesus is patient with her. He leads her to 
see that she's a sinful woman and he truthfully sums up the real issue by saying what he said to her uh, in verses 20 through 26. So this is the summary of this encounter and you take away from this how Jesus treated her and you take from that this is how you treat people that are not saved, people who are living in sin even. And so uh, since John the Baptist is off the scene, he has been executed. Uh, Jesus' public ministry is now in high gear. In John 4, 46 through 54, he goes up to uh, Galilee and uh, the same place where he did his first miracle, turning water into wine, and there he heals another person. He, well, not another person, but he heals a nobleman's son in chapter 4, verse 5. And this is a long-distance miracle, long-distance healing, where the man comes to him, begs him. He's an he's a important person. He's desperate. He comes to Jesus. He begs for mercy. Can you heal me? Please, 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 please come. And Jesus says, well, okay, uh, okay. He says, okay, he's healed. The man says, he is. He says, yeah, you go home. You find out that he's healed. The man heads home. He goes real fast. He, put on, he puts on his hokas and runs home. Okay. Sorry. He goes home, and as he goes home, a servant meets him before he gets to his house in Capernaum. And he says, guess what, guess what? What, 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 what? He says, your son, he's all right. He's well. What? He says, what time, what time did he get well? He says, okay, he was just about this time. He says, ay, ay, ay. That's in the original languages. Ay, ay, ay. He says, what time did you say? Yesterday at 2 o'clock? He's thinking, yesterday at 2 o'clock, I was asking Jesus to heal my son, and he says, thy son is healed. It was at 2 o'clock yesterday. And you know what happens there? The man believes on Christ, and his whole family believes on Christ. That's the first time in the Gospels in which a healing led to somebody's salvation. So, these events that we just heard about cover just one year, the first year of Jesus' three-year ministry. And so just a few events that took place, it seemed like, but that's all that's recorded. And what you learn about the Lord so far is that He's a man who is firm. He's a man who is kind. He's a man who is principled. He's a man who got angry. He cleansed the temple. And he is patient in gathering his disciples and dealing with people about personal sin. He's compassionate, he's wise, and he's truthful. These are the takeaways about uh, the Lord himself in his first year of public ministry. Now, the second year will begin shortly, and a lot of things are going to happen in his second year of ministry. Okay, all right, it's 10.30, let's do this. Uh, Miranda's at home, but Joan, can you take the ladies to have prayer? Is that all right with you? Uh, and update if you have any about Miranda. And uh, uh, also, let me come in and tell you about her sister, okay? All right, let's dismiss.